Hey, this is Pastor Arm, and I want to thank you for joining me today for the Activation Church podcast. We are here so that people can activate their life in Christ, and I believe this message is going to help you go further than ever before. Check it out. If you have your Bible, turn it to Mark, the 11th chapter. I'm excited about this season we're entering into. This is the kickoff of Passion Week. This is the kickoff of Holy Week with Palm Sunday, which we're going to discuss today. And then Friday night at 7 o'clock, we're going to have a good Friday night of worship and communion. I encourage you to come out, be a part of that. It's going to be a powerful time in the presence of God. And then Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock will be our Easter Sunday services. If you want a little extra space, come out to the 9.30 service, although the 9.30 service was just as full almost as our 11 o'clock today, so I'm thankful for everything that God's doing. Today, we're going to be baptizing several people, and uh, that's always awesome. And I was informed before service that they actually brought water from the Jordan River and put some of that in the baptismal. I thought they were joking when they told everybody that, and I was like, oh, they're just kidding. They're like, no, we're not kidding. There really is. Here's the water. So that's pretty cool. The water, the, the, the same river that Jesus was baptized in, we have water from that river. So this is going to be a special occasion. But are you ready? Yeah. All right. Mark 11th chapter is where we're going to be going. And we're in a series right now called Killing Comfort. Somebody say killing, killing. comfort. comfort. Uh, the big idea is that it's possible to miss where God is wanting to take you because you are so comfortable where you are. It's possible to miss even the salvation that he offers to us because we are so comfortable in the life that we are living. And so today as we talk about this theme, I want to look at it through the lens of the Palm Sunday story because many missed who Jesus was because they were more comfortable with their image of who God was supposed to be and how God was supposed to act, that they missed God when he actually showed up in flesh. And for those of you who are new to scripture or new to church, that's what we believe. We believe that Jesus is the eternal God that has always been the one who spoke everything into existence. But at that moment that he took on flesh, he actually entered our environment and our atmosphere. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, when you really think about it, the God of all creation decided that he would come down where we are and put on flesh and live like we live and struggle with what we struggle with and be touched with everything that touches us so that he can sympathize with us and become the ultimate high priest that helps us out. You know, every other religion, it's all about what you can do to become or ascend to where God is. But what we believe is God came to where we are. So Mark, the 11th chapter, verse 1, the Bible says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, which is a young, young donkey, tied on which no one has ever sat. Turn to the person next to you. This is important. Tell them no one's ever sat on this donkey. I mean, this, this is an unproven animal. This is an unbroken animal. And Jesus says, untie it and bring it to me. Now, this is not like the focus of this sermon, but since we're talking about uh, 
killing our comfort. And can you imagine how uncomfortable this would have been if you were one of the disciples? Hey, man, I want you to go down the road and donkey that, that donkey for me and just bring it to me. I mean, to put it in your terms, let's just say, uh, hey, there's a red Corvette down the street. I need you to go and get it. And if anybody asks you what you're doing, just say, Pastor Arm hath need of it. <laughs> I mean, how many of you, like, if I'm telling you that, you're finding a new church next week. And the truth is, Jesus would say stuff like this that would, like, really shock, like, your, your natural system up. And it made people uncomfortable. I mean, he would say all kinds of things that would, that would mess with your flesh. So much so that, I mean, large crowds would walk away from him at one time because he made them so uncomfortable. They, 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 he was not the image of what they expected. He didn't look like they thought he would look. And I think a lot of us, actually, if Jesus were to enter the room today, a lot of us would not even recognize him. Because we have built such an image of who God is in our mind based upon our customs and traditions. And the truth is, Jesus a lot of times looks nothing like our customs and our traditions. And a lot of times, Jesus is never even where we expect him to be. We expect him to be hanging out with the religious elite. But yet, through scripture, we find him hanging out with the nobodies, the outcasts, on the, on the outskirts of society. The people that no one else wanted to have anything to do with, this is who Jesus said, I want to hang out with them. And so now he says, okay, go get that donkey, untie it, bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this, which is a pretty legit question, why are you taking my donkey, say the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back immediately. So I'm not going to like just thief it from you, like I'll, I'll bring it back. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, hey, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Why we call this day Palm Sunday is because of the palm branches or the palm leaves that they cut to lay along the road that Jesus rode on and those who went before Jesus and those who followed were shouting Hosanna somebody say Hosanna, Hosanna. that that means save now we recognize you're the king you're the one we've been waiting for and we need your help and we need it now has anybody ever prayed that way like God I need help and I don't need it tomorrow I don't even need it five minutes from now I need it right now. So they're shouting, Hosanna, which means save now. And then they say, blessed is he, talking about Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. From the beginning of time, people were waiting and watching and looking for the one who was appointed by God to bring salvation to the world. They had heard these stories. They're waiting. They're watching. Who is it going to be? When is he going to come? How's it going to happen? This person who's going to come and set everything straight. Everything that Adam and Eve messed up in the garden, we're waiting on that person who's going to come and fix it. And all through Scripture, God begins to drop hints and clues as to where this person is going to come from. And what he's going to do. We actually see in the third chapter of Genesis, right after Adam and Eve mess up, God comes and says the seed of a woman 
which means a woman is going to bring this Savior into the world. Then we see later in Genesis, he's talking to Abraham. And we learn that the one who is going to be sent by God is going to come through the family or the offspring of Abraham. We're, we're told later that he would be a descendant of David and that he would reign on his forefather David's throne. We're told that his mom's going to be a virgin. Think about that. These things, are, these things are being told to us hundreds of years before Jesus is even born. The, the appointed one, his mom's going to be a virgin, and he's going to be born in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, this story that we just read here in Mark, the 11th chapter, was prophesied by Zechariah over 400 years before Jesus was born. He's telling us that our king is going to come into the city riding on a donkey. All of these things are pointing towards Jesus. As a matter of fact, the entire Old Testament, if you take it, every story and every character is pointing to Jesus, this one who is going to come. As a matter of fact, the prophecy we find in Isaiah 53 is so specific about this appointed one, this Messiah, this Savior, and how he's going to suffer and die that our Jewish brothers and sisters take that portion of Scripture and they don't read it because it points directly towards Jesus. It all was pointing towards the coming of our Messiah. Yet when he gets here, people didn't recognize him because he didn't come in the way they expected him to come. See, they wanted a king who was going to come and overthrow the government of Rome and establish his kingdom where where he would rule and reign and bless the people and they would, they would have peace. They wanted this war king that would ride in on a stallion, but instead Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, which is a symbol of I come in peace because the kingdom I'm going to establish is not of this earth. It's not of this world. Jesus doesn't rule by legislation, in other words. Jesus doesn't rule and reign through legislation. He rules and reigns through transformation. Are you understanding how that works? See, a lot of us, we want, like, politicians to come in and support our cause and, and have laws that support the way we think and feel, and that's wonderful. I mean, I love, I love when that happens. I love when we have lawmakers who are standing for the church and what we believe. I, I like that. But Jesus didn't come to legislate his kingdom because the kingdom of God can't be legislated. It's a transformation thing that starts in your heart. It's not a matter of rule and law. It's a matter of surrender. Does that make sense to you? Yesterday I did a wedding. And I got to the part of the ceremony where we do the vows. And when you go through the vows, what you're doing is you're outlining the, the framework for what this marriage is going to look like. In other words, you're giving them the ground rules that they've both agreed on. You're going to love, cherish, honor. You're going to promise to be there in good times as well as difficult times. You'll be there in health. You'll also be there in sickness. What is mine now belongs to you. I no longer live for myself. I live for us. I'm going to cleave only to you. 
In other words, I'm going to be faithful in this marriage. Those are the ground rules that we agree to within that ceremony. But yet those rules are actually not what solidifies the marriage and makes it a blessing. Think about this. Like at home, my wife doesn't have our vows or the rules framed on the wall. And she doesn't wake up every morning and go, come here, Aram, I want to remind you that you're going to love and cherish and honor and that you're not going to go sleeping around because you're going to cleave only unto me. The rules are there. I agreed to the terms, but that's not what causes our relationship to be fruitful. What causes our relationship to be fruitful is my heart is in this thing. And because of love, I follow the rules. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not I don't follow the rules because I have the rules. I step in an alignment with the ground rules because I'm moving from a place and a position of love. And that's how our salvation works. It's not God giving us all these rules saying, hey, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to legislate this and you better follow. It's this is who I am. And because you love me and because you understand who I am and because you understand the love that I have for you, it's just a natural response. That's the way you respond to this great love which he has shown us. But see, people missed who Jesus was because they wanted him to come set up this kingdom, have all these rules, and force people into serving him. But if you force someone into serving you, it's not really them serving you. That's what I'm getting at with those vows. If I only treat my wife good because she's making me treat her good, that is no good. Because I can follow all the rules, but yet my heart can be far from her. And you could follow all the rules that you find through Scripture or all the ideas and concepts you think make up who God is and what, how he feels about things. You could have all these things and you could do your hardest to stick to those things and yet your heart still be far from him. Jesus, as a matter of fact, he tells the religious people, he says, with your lips you honor me. You're saying all the right things. You think you're doing all the right things, yet your heart is far from me. See, if you can get your heart right, the rest will fall into line. And so we've missed this and we've turned, we've turned this whole Christianity thing into a to-do list instead of a love relationship. And when I fall in love with Jesus and I understand that Jesus loves me, out of that place comes this transformation where things begin to shift and change. And my life is no longer lived for me. It's no longer about what can I get out of it, but God, what can I do for you? It's a response. Are you seeing what I'm saying? But they missed him. Because he didn't do what they expected him to do. Others missed Jesus because they were so blinded by their thoughts, feelings, and desires that they preferred their desires over the authority of his kingship. The religious people, the ones who were actually the ones who were supposed to recognize Jesus missed him because they preferred their power and their position of honor rather than the king who was to come. And so on this day, as he's riding in on the donkey, you have some people in the crowd shouting, Hosanna, save now, you're the king, you're the one that we've been waiting for, you're the one that we've been longing for, you're the one that we need, but at the same time that they're shouting, Hosanna, you've got other people in the crowd who are plotting his murder. Because they didn't like who he was. He made them uncomfortable. He challenged their feelings. He challenged their thoughts. He challenged their desires. And so they thought, we'll kill him. 
which none of this took Jesus by surprise. He wasn't caught off guard. It actually played into his plan and consummated his kingdom here on earth. But what I want to ask today is where do you stand? Because the, the opinions of Jesus, of who he is, they're all over the place. And even in this, this passage that we, that we read today, we see that the, the, the crowd is torn on who Jesus is to them. Some think he's a savior, some think he's a lunatic. Some think he's the light of the world, others think that he is someone who's there to tear down their religious system and they want him dead. Who is he to you? And if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus is king whether I recognize him or not. Did you catch that? Jesus is king whether I recognize him or not, which means my opinion of him does not change who he is. One day Jesus was having a conversation with his disciples. And he says to them, hey, what's the word on the street? What do people say about me? Who is it that people say that I am. And he starts giving all kinds of different responses. Well, some people say you're a teacher. Some would say you're a prophet. Some would say you're John the Baptist. Everybody, I mean, the opinions of who Jesus was were all over the place, just like today. The opinions of who Jesus is is all over the place. Well, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. Uh, you know, he did some good stuff. But then Jesus gets to the nuts and bolts. He says, okay, now, who is it that you say that I am? Because your opinion of me is the only opinion that will matter for you. It won't, it won't change who I am. Now get this. What you think about Jesus does not diminish who he is. It does not lessen the fact that he is God. It does not take him off his throne. But what you recognize in Jesus will determine what you can receive from Jesus. Are you following that train of thought? You can never receive from him what you do not recognize in him. In other words, if he's only a good guy, a good teacher that did some good things, and he is not a savior, then it is impossible for me to receive salvation from him. If he is, let's say I, I recognize it. Okay, Jesus, you're the son of God. You died on the cross. You rose, you rose from the dead. I believe that. I receive you into my heart. You're my savior. There are people who receive him as savior, but they believe that he is no longer a miracle worker. So I may receive salvation from him, but I'll never experience the miracle working power of who he is because I do not recognize that in him. Think about Jesus going to his own hometown where the Bible says he could not do many miracles. Not would not, could not do many miracles. Why? Because when he came in, what the people saw was the son of Joseph and the son of Mary. They didn't recognize them for who he was. And so their opinion of him hindered what they could receive from him. So follow this today. Because there are so many people that we have developed our image and our opinion of who Jesus is based upon what we've heard others say or maybe what we've even heard our ancestors say or what we've learned in, in Sunday school but it doesn't actually look like who Jesus really is and we're missing out on the fullness of what he has made available and we have actually narrowed salvation to one day I'm going to go to heaven. I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, bye-bye, I'll fly away. Now I'll go out and live however I want to. 
because I don't understand salvation. Heaven is an absolute part of it. And I look forward to spending eternity with Jesus. But he did not just die so that I could be saved and go to heaven. He came so that I could become a son or a daughter of God. So that his light could be placed in me. So that Christ, the Holy Spirit, could come and live inside of me. So that now I can do the works that he did. Now I become his hands, his feet, his mouthpiece here on this earth. Are you understanding? See, Jesus didn't stop doing what he came to do people stopped recognizing him for who he was. You want to know why we don't see many mighty miracles nowadays? It's not because Jesus doesn't do them. It's because we don't really have faith that he does that. But the Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. Our opinion of him has. That's powerful right there. And we set up whole denominations to teach people who we think Jesus is. Instead of going to scripture and seeing who is it that you say that you are. Think about that. And your opinion of Jesus will hinder what you can receive from him. He's king whether you recognize it or not. Think about this. His word is true. (laughs) I love this. His word is true whether you listen to it or not. Which means your opinion of the scripture doesn't diminish the truth that's in the scripture. It just diminishes what you can receive from it. You know, I hate going to the doctor. I don't like to go. The only reason I go is because my wife will force me to go and she'll make the appointment. And I know if I don't go to this appointment, I'm going to hear about it. Because every time I go to the doctor, they tell me the same thing. They say, Aram, you're fat. I'm like, did you really need a PhD for that? <laughs> like, like, how much is my insurance bill going to be to hear you say I'm fat? Like, I've got a mirror. I don't need a doctor. You know what I'm saying? But tell my arm, you're fat. And what they're, what they're trying to say is you need to do something about this. And I may not like their truth, and I can ignore their truth. I can hide their truth. I can say I'm never going back to the doctor's office because I never want to hear this kind of truth again. I only want to hear stuff that builds me up and makes me feel good about myself. But it doesn't diminish the fact that this boy's fat. Are are you following that that line of thinking? So you can take the word of God and say, well, I don't believe that this is true, or I don't believe that this or that. You can do everything you want to with it, but it does not diminish the fact that it's truth. It just changes what you can receive from it. Watch this, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy, the third chapter, 16 and 17. All scripture, somebody say all scripture, scripture. is breathed out by God. Now let's stop there. The scriptures are from God. Although it was written by human authors, we understand that they were inspired by God. Some people will teach that the scriptures are just man's opinion of who God is or who God was. And over time, their opinions evolve, so the scriptures evolve. That's not true. All scripture, according to scripture, is God breathed. And I don't get the, picture, the parts that I like and the parts that I don't like. I don't get to read one, one side of the Bible with a highlighter and the other side with a white art, white out, which is what we like to do, right? Because sometimes what the Word of God says is what? Uncomfortable. It challenges us. 
But here's the thing, I've got I've to figure out, am I going to lean into this challenge and allow it to work on me and transform me and mold me and shift me and change me, or am I going to fight the system? Doesn't diminish the truth, but it diminishes what I can receive from it. And let me hear, tell you something. For those of you who have been challenged by the word of God, it is never to harm you. It's always to help you. As much as I don't like that doctor, and I've found multiple opinions, and they all have the same opinion, as much as I don't like how, to hear how fat I am, they're not saying it to hurt my feelings. They're saying it because they want me to live. Have you ever considered that God has a path for your life that brings favor and blessing? Have you ever considered that God has a way of doing things that, that actually brings you into the fulfillment of things that you're actually looking for? We're looking for joy and peace and all this stuff on all these places, not realizing God's saying, I've got a path for you. My scripture, it's God breathed, it's breathed by me, and it's profitable, which means there's something in it for you. And it can teach, it can, it's for reproof, it's for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Which means the word of God is there to build me into the person that God has created me to be. He has a path laid out for me. Before he formed me in my mother's womb, he knew me, he called me. I have a purpose, I have a destiny. And he knows the right way for me to go. A lot of the pain that we experience in life is because we've chosen our own path. See, God establishes what like relationships and marriage should look like. But we've all chosen our own path, and so what happens is the path and the pain that we've experienced from the past, we end up bringing into new relationships. And we have all this junk going on within the relationship, but it's because of the path that we have chosen before. Does that make sense to you? The Bible says in Proverbs, the 14th chapter, chapter verse 12, it says there's a way that seems right to a man. It feels right. Feels good. But the end is actually destruction. Think about that. <laughs> Just because it feels good doesn't mean it is good. There's a lot of things that feel great that aren't great. The Bible talks about sin for a season. That was one heck of a season, man. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? Sin for a season, man, it's fun. There's pleasure there. But the end, ends bad. You know, uh, I grew up skiing. And when I was a kid, we went out west. And they have these paths that they groom for you. Does anybody, show of hands, you ever been skiing before? How many of you after your first time said, I'll never go back? But anyway, they have these paths groomed for you. And they, they pack the snow down and make it easy and they got all these signs hey follow this way go this way you know this way is difficult this way is easy all the stuff that they just take time to do for you but I felt like I was a good enough skier to cut my own path so I decided I'm going to go into the woods where no man has been before no ski has shredded on this territory but I'm going Lauren you know why because I'm that good in my mind I'm a gold medal skier you know <laughs> my mind, it looks completely different than it did in reality. But I get off, man. I'm, I'm blazing my own trail. I'm going through the woods. I'm dipping dodging through trees, you know. And everything's going great until the snow starts getting deeper and deeper 
and deeper. And then one of my skis clips a tree. And when that happens, I sink down into the snow. And now I'm covered up to here. And because I have skis on, I can't get out. And I'm in trouble. My head starts hurting. My body starts shutting down. All of my energy goes out. And I'm thinking, this is it. Here lies the man who cut his own path. That's what I'm thinking. And that's what we do in life. God, God is saying, I've got this path that's groomed for you. It's a path that has blessing. It's a path that leads to hope. It's a path that leads to success and prosperity. All of this good stuff, and I've laid it out for you. I've groomed it for you, yet you've chosen to blaze your own trail, and now you're stuck. See, we're talking about the Word of God here. See, on one end, the path that I choose, the path that feels right, ends in destruction. But then he says, but my word is a lamp to your feet, a light to your path. I'll show you the way to go. Does that make sense to you? So the word of God is beneficial, and the word of God is true whether I receive it or not. Number three, and this is a big one, I will live forever somewhere whether I believe it or not. What I believe does not change the reality of eternity. What I believe just determines where I'll spend eternity. I've heard people say, well, hell isn't real. I don't believe in hell. You will. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of options. It's not, a, it's not, you know, A, B, C, D. I mean, there's, there's two paths. A path that leads to life, a path that leads to destruction. And what happens is because we don't really believe or maybe we believe but we don't really consider, which is two different things, because there's a lot of people that believe, you know, in heaven, hell, but they don't consider that it's eternity, which is a really long time. And what happens is it causes us to live with blinders on to only see our immediate future. And we put so much time, effort, energy, and focus into what is here, what is now. And it's all temporary, and it is all such a small slice of time compared to the eternity that's out there. So what I, what I believe about eternity doesn't change the reality of eternity, but it does determine where I will spend eternity. Are you following that? It's important, it's, it's important to follow this. Because the truth is we've all messed up, We've all cut our own path. We're all jacked up. And if you would say, well, they're not me, Pastor. Well, you're a liar. And you know what the Bible says about that? It's against it. <laughs> Y'all are expecting something else. We're all, we're all mess-ups in here, man. We're all jacked up. We've all cut our own path. And just like me in the woods, we've all found ourselves stuck without hope. But what, um, something amazing happened. As I'm in this snow, as I'm covered, as I'm suffering, as my body is starting to shut down, somebody comes into the woods. They come where I am. They dig me out of that position. They get me back onto the slope. They get me back onto the path, and my body is so weak that I can't ski on my own, and they help me down, and that's the gospel. 
Jesus comes where we are. He finds us where we are. He pulls us out of the situation that we are in. He puts us on the path, but he doesn't just say, boy, go on, because we're too weak to carry this thing out on our own. So he says, I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you, and I'm going to help you down the path. And that's available for everyone. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what's happened in your life, that opportunity to receive help, to say, Hosanna, save now, is available to every single person. And my favorite part of this story is the donkey. Remember I had you point out the fact that it had never been sat on? It wasn't a proven animal. It had never been ridden. It had never done anything to deserve this opportunity to carry the king into Israel. And what I like about the donkey is the more I look at it, I realize that it's me. I'm the jackass. I didn't say it in the 930 because we were on line, but now we're okay. <laughs> Nobody's watching. <laughs> and if you say I said it, I'll deny it. No, I'm just kidding. But when I, when I think about it, I'm the donkey. I'm the one that doesn't deserve the opportunity. I've done nothing. I'm unproven. I'm unworthy. Yet Jesus says, I want you. I have need of you. I desire you. And now go and get untied. Are you following this? He chose you. You didn't choose him. He has chosen you. And he loves you where you are and he comes to where you are so that he can take you to where he is and that's not just an eternal state that is transformation you're stuck here you feel hopeless here you feel like there there's nothing i can do i can't help myself and you can't help yourself but as soon as you say hosanna save now jesus steps in and he does for you what you cannot do for yourself and he makes all things I'm thankful for that. But I've got to get to this place to where I make a decision that is no longer my feelings that rule my life. Because my feelings will lead me away from the cross and not to the cross. You know, you hear people say, just follow your heart. That's the worst advice ever. The Bible says that the heart of man is wicked above all things. Don't follow your heart. <laughs> Don't follow your feelings. What does God say? And as uncomfortable as it may make me feel, and as challenging as it may seem, it's actually a good process for me to go through. To realize how in need I am of a Savior. And the good news is, 